Hey, this is Dr. Vincent West, Medical Doctor, Phantasm Podcast. Got one of my favorite vocalists ever today. We've got Kevin from Rocks Gang, and we're going to be talking about the Paris reissue of the Voodoo You Love. And Kevin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, man. Doing great. Um, I was down in Tampa, actually, in December. So. Pretty cool city. Yeah, man. Went down there to see Tom Brady. Uh, wanted to see him before he retired, so that was pretty cool. Got to watch him flush the Saints. It was pretty cool. So, uh, Good weather. Yeah, man. Great weather. Great city. Um, so uh, how did uh, the Voodoo You Love uh, back in the 90s, like as far as uh, originally when you guys were recording this, how did, how did all that come to be after the first album? Well, there's all kinds of misconceptions about the Voodoo You Love. After... We put out our first album, Things You Never Done Before, on Virgin Records. And um, the Voodoo You Love started out as a demo project. We were demoing all our songs for the second Virgin release. But um, in the meantime, Virgin decided they were going to put us out on their subsidiary, Charisma. We weren't real pleased with the way they'd handled the first album. And we thought if we were, they were going to put us out on their subsidiary, and we, that was a no-go for us. We negotiated a release. But those songs were recorded probably a year after the first album. Okay. They didn't get released till 95 because in the interim we signed with CBS and uh, a development deal. And then CBS got a major overhaul. The uh, people we were working with got fired, and um, so the album never came out on CBS. And we just—that was also at the advent of grunge, and um, you know, we just had the rug pulled out from under us, like so many other bands. Sure. And um, we finally found a home at Paris Records years later, 95, but the album had really been sitting there for a couple of years. And um, and another thing people don't realize is in the meantime, the band had gone through a complete personnel change, but in actuality, The Voodoo You Love was recorded by the same band that did things you never done before. But by the time it was released, there was a new lineup, and that lineup's picture appeared on the album. The guys who are on the album, whose picture are on the album, don't even play on the album except for two songs, Time Bomb and Thickest Thieves, were added to, a, to the existing what? recordings. So, uh, <laughs> uh, a lot of people, you know, don't realize that it's the same lineup as things you've never done before. So, I love the first album, and then, um, you know, I thought you guys were going to blow up, saw the No Easy Way Out video on MTV, and I was just like, fuck it, ran out and bought the album. Um, as far as for you, because it, it seems like it happened to a lot of my favorite bands, it's like... Um, all the, the grunge wave hit, and it just they started just dime storing every band that I loved. Yeah, I can remember when we were recording things you'd ever done before at the Enterprise in Hollywood, California, and um, I can remember my guitar players were 
you know, recording solos, and I was sitting in the lobby of the studio watching MTV, and there was the first uh, Nirvana video and the first Soundgarden video, and, you know, I, I had no idea, but we, we were done before we even started. You know, it was just a... Rock King has always suffered from some bad timing. Right. And um, had we been signed a couple of years earlier, my band, we were dirt pro poor. And we didn't have the money to move to California like a lot of bands did. Sure. And therefore, we didn't get signed. You know, we probably could have got signed a couple of years earlier. That would have made all the difference in the world. I think the band would have been... Uh, I think we would have made a way bigger bang. But, yeah, uh, I love the band. As it was. <laughs> it's like so many great stuff, and it just seems like all of that stuff came in. And what I think's funny, and I wanted to ask you about this, it's funny to me how, and, and, and again, if you, if you like the guy, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be offensive, but like Dave Grohl, that guy's fucking everywhere. And it's like, dude, you were marketed... Just like the hair bands that you made fun of in the Year of the Punk Broke Brock video thing that you did. He did this Year of the Punk Broke thing that he did with Sonic Youth and they're like making fun of all that stuff. And it's like your band got marketed more than the stuff you were making fun of. Like even making fun of like Molly Crew and Guns N' Roses and stuff like that. Right. But even smaller bands like po you know, Poison who was big. But I mean they killed like everything I love and they have like no remorse about it and the guy's on like fucking Super Bowl ads and it's like you're like one of the biggest media whores on the planet and you make fun of music that I love and you were marketed more than any band. <laughs> you know, like, they they just drop like every band in the whole scene that I loved, so. Yeah. Well, I was never a big fan of, uh, of Nirvana or uh, Foo Fighters, but... Um, you know, they got a couple songs. I, I try not to. I, I don't know. I got nothing good to say about this. Oh, dude, yeah, exactly. It's. I mean, girl, I agree with you completely. I'll leave it at that. Cool. Like, I mean, everything I love just disappeared overnight because I was like 15 years old and I'm listening to all this stuff, loving it, and then it just disappeared. It literally disappeared overnight. And it did. It did, and we were. Uh, Rockstein was screwed, man. We were poisoned. Man, we, we had everybody telling us you're going to be the next big thing. And we were so psyched. And uh, Rockstein worked for a long time. Rockstein was around in Florida for several years before we got signed. Wow. And um, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a big disappointment, to say the least. Oh sure, man. I I hate it for for you. I I, I love the band, like I said before. Um, as far as um, did you all do for the first album? Did you all get to at least do some touring and enjoy that for a little bit? Or yeah, yeah. I got to at least live out some rock and roll fantasy for a while. That's you know? good. I mean, but I mean the se the second album's great. I always love the second record. Um, as far I as I actually prefer the second record. Yeah, it's great. Great album, man. When the first album came out, a full half of those songs, five of the ten songs were... Rush had a history. We had a, a completely different lineup before things you'd never done before. Our guitar player died in an accident. Oh, my God. 
and um, it took two guitar players to replace him <laughs> and everybody got replaced except me eventually and um, half the songs around things you've done before, never done before were written before that lineup gelled um, I forgot what you even asked me <laughs> oh, just just about you know joints it joints some success on the first album and then the transition to the second one. Well, oh, so we um, we've been around for a while, and um, we were slugging away, and we were finally getting national attention, and everything was looking so good. And um, Bo Hill produced our first album. You know, he done Rad, sure. Kicks, Alice yeah. Cooper. Um, Nigel Dick produced our first video. He'd done the Guns N' Roses videos, the early Guns N' Roses videos. And um, everybody in the press was telling us, you're going to be the next big thing. And um, it was, uh, it was heartbreaking when grunge took over like that. Yeah, and it's well the and the reason that I brought that up, and I wasn't trying to put you on the spot with that, but for me, as a fan, you know, it was it was like they pulled like the biggest heist in the world, and then they not only were the bands that seemed unapologetic about it, but it's like they got marketed tenfold over bands that I loved, you know. Yeah. What are you gonna do, man? Right, it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's completely crazy. And I bet it was crazy for for you to just watch the shift like that because it seems like it happened overnight. Like the fucking sun setting, the moon comes out, and then it's done. It's like, what happened? You know. I mean, program directors at radio stations were just like, all those bands were just thrown in a box. We're not playing these anymore. We're playing this. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, as that far as... Yeah, man, I just God don't... love him. He's had, some, uh, he's had some trials and tribulations himself, so... Well, the, I, it's not even just, just him, but it just seems like all of it. Like, all of that stuff got Alice in Chains, all of that stuff. It just It's everywhere. It was just like... I remember going into, like, a record store, because I used to work at a record store when I was, you know, a teenager, and I remember trying to go in there and find bands I like. It's like, oh, we didn't get that, but we've got, you know... 30 copies of Soundgarden and 30 copies of Mud Honey and all this crap. I was just like, I don't want this. Well, and I'm to be perfectly honest, it didn't help that a lot of uh, my peers, a lot of the 80s, however you want to call it, glam metal, hair bands, whatever you want to call it. Sure. I never, I never considered Rock's Gang a hair band. Yes, we may have had, there may have been members in the band that had big hair. It was the times. Sure. So I, I mean... Bono had a gigantic super mullet, remember? It was sure he did. the yep. 80s. Everybody had big hair, regardless of your genre. But my glam roots, like I said, we go way back before. When Rock's Gang started, there was no Motley Crue, there was no Poison. Right. My glam influences were like the New York Dolls and Mott the Hoople and T-Rex and sure. David Bowie and um, and the gritty American stuff like Iggy and Lou Reed and um, and when we by the time we made it people thought there was a lot of people that thought we were kind of jumping on that glam bandwagon 
when in fact we'd been doing it and we've been doing it in Florida. And let me tell you, brother, this is a place where like Leonard Skinner, you know, Southern Rock, like we, people didn't know what to think of Rock's Gang when we came out. Sure. They thought we were a bunch of transvestite junkies, you know? Right. And, um, I, it just so happened that by the time we got signed that, well, priest right preceding the time we got signed that all that hair metal blew up. But like, I never really felt a strong kinship to a lot of those bands and it didn't help them. And it did help the grunge scene take over because that a lot of those hair metal bands, I mean, it got silly, man. It did. You know, like, there was people dressing in skin-tight clothes that did not need to be skin-tight clothes. <laughs> right. There was bands, like, look at Twisted Sister. They looked like a bunch of New York truck drivers. Yeah, to I... Me, they looked like clowns, you know? Right, exactly. Um, but it, 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 all these guys, Kevin Dubrow and John Dawkins were wearing wigs, you know? Right. It, it got silly. It did, and, and it, you know, for me, you guys were always like, because Thin Lizzy's my favorite band. I just, I'll just like good rock music, you know? And yeah, I love Thin Lizzy. Yeah. You know, so I just thought, you know, get the first albums, like, wow, this kicks ass. But yeah, I mean, I liked a lot of that stuff and whatever you want. But the funny thing is, a lot of the bands that I was into, like Rock's Gang, were, were never big, you know? Uh -huh. Like, I don't remember Pretty Boy Floyd ever being big. I don't remember, like, any any of the bands that I liked never seemed like they were ever, like, huge, you know, like, any any of the bands. And I grew up in Florida, you know, so it's like, you know, it was weird because it's, you're right, it's a lot of Southern rock, it's a lot of country, it's a lot of whatever, you know, but, and I'm still in Florida, I'm over on the Pensacola side, so we're neighbors, but far away neighbors, but, but yeah, it's like, you know, it's, I never understood um, any of that. And then the worst thing was, to me, just getting to the music, I didn't like the grunge stuff. And then the post-grunge stuff, to me, was even worse. And it's marketed tenfold. Creed, I never liked. I never liked Stone Temple Pilots. I never liked any of that stuff. I just wasn't into it, you know? And Yeah, it was a dark period for music, in my opinion. Oh, yeah, man. It was, you know, and... and but it's funny because everybody gets labeled into stuff, into a lump box. I was never into thrash stuff. I was never into it. Um, you yeah, know. I'm not a heavy metal, you know, when I say heavy metal, I mean thrash. Yeah, I was oh, never. I'm not into that shit either. Yeah. The, um, and I mentioned I like the, the, the Booty Love is my favorite album is because the first album, that's why I got off track earlier. Um, half the songs were written. And when I first started, you know, basically I was a lyricist and I was handing my lyrics over to my guitar player or he was handing me a tune and I was writing lyrics right. to the music. And uh, by the end, of, you know, as we toured after things you've never done before and by the time we started to record, or write the songs, I should say, for The Booty You Love. I, myself, was maturing as a songwriter, and, um, you know, I was coming up with not only the lyrics and the melody, but I was starting to contribute to the music. Now, 
I love Things You Never Done Before, but there are songs on that album that are a little... Uh, there's songs like Live Fast, Die Young, for example. What? That, um... They're more in the metal groove, than, a little more than I felt comfortable with. Okay. I always wanted... I, I, I just told you my influences, you know? Sure. I always wanted to be... have a rock and roll band with a kind of underlying rhythm and blues kind of influence like an Aerosmith or the Rolling Stones or the New York Dolls, you know, like... Sure. And I think for our second album, I was able to pull it a little more in that direction, a little a little further away from the metal and a little closer to the, you know, rock and roll. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, the second record, I mean, I was going to say it's, it's, it's like... Uh stones or the who you know it's just it's just a good rock record um and uh yeah i can totally I like see that. that yeah i mean that's that's and i love that you know love it um my uncle was a huge who fan took me to see the who when i was in like first grade you know um didn't get to see keith unfortunately but you know i got to see the rest of the band it was really cool and you know yeah i definitely hear that i, I can hear it even a little bit on the first record i guess we're kind of back and forth maybe you know some of the yeah. songs well there's some song you know fastest gun and ball and chain and uh there's songs that show a little bit of my i'm a huge blues fan also nice and so I, and i love blues rock love johnny winter all those kind of guys oh, yeah. and um or and i love the rolling stones and one of the things i love about the stones is and i tried to bring to rock's gang was you know, so many of those 80s bands, every one of their songs sounded so similar. Right. Even from band to band. And, um, you know, like the Rolling Stones did rock and roll, they did blues, they did reggae, they did rhythm and blues, they did psychedelic. Right. They, you know, you, you, you couldn't put them in a, you know, couldn't pigeonhole them. Exactly. And exactly. Um, I try to bring a little of that to to uh, Rock's Gang. I mean, I, mean, uh, I was kind of limited in the fact that I'm not a, I'm not a guitar player. And so a lot of times my guitar players, God love them, would pull my songs a little bit from the intended direction. Why? <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Into more of a my guitar players were, you know, Wade Hayes was like, you know, into Randy Rhodes and Eddie Van Halen and sure. all those guys. And so my songs would get pulled a little bit, but I mean, if you give them a listen, their songs, like I said, on the first album, like Fastest Gun in Town and Ball and Chain, that, you know, you, you can hear a blues influence. Absolutely, absolutely. Or, or a rock blues influence. So as far as recording uh, uh, the voodoo you love, where did, uh, did, did, was all that done in Florida at that point, or did you all do some stuff No, else? we had, um, as a matter of fact, we, um, recorded with this guy, have you ever heard of the Rods? Oh, yeah, love them. Okay, Carl Kennedy, their drummer. Yeah. Okay, well, he came down to Florida, I have to backtrack a little bit. I said we had a guitar player that passed away in the original version. Yes. Well, we were starting to get our 
stuff together and uh, Carl was going to come Carl heard our some demo tapes and he was going to come down to Florida and record a full album length demo and the night before he was supposed to come down Eric my guitar player died oh god okay? sorry so Carl was so cool he was like you know I can't imagine what it would be like if one of my bandmates died we're all like brothers the minute if you guys you know decide to continue and you get another guitar player you call me and I'll be down there right. so uh, it was a weird time decide you know like I always felt I, I never it was never a question for me I, I wanted to continue and I thought the best tribute I could give my fallen brother was to like I said five of the ten songs he and I wrote right and to get them recorded and on an album I thought was the best tribute I could give them and so uh it was really Carl that decided when he came down that uh, we got Jeff Taylor first, and he said, uh, "Jeff's great. He's look, he's looks, you know, he's got a great image, but I think you really need to add another guitar player." Right. And so we got uh, Wade Hayes, who is fantastic. Wade is one of the most underrated guitar players of that era, and. Um, you know, had we, had Rock's Gang got the opportunity to be bigger, I think Wade would have been recognized right up there with, you know, the Warren D. Martinis and the sure. whoever. Absolutely. And um, so anyways, we recorded this full-length, uh, album-length demo. It was called Love Them and Leave Them. Okay. We later released that on CD, Paris did. And um, that's what got assigned to Virgin. And then when it came time to do the Voodoo You Love, skip ahead now, we went up to Carl Kennedy's studio. It's just outside of Scranton in Pennsylvania. Okay. And that's where the Voodoo You Love was recorded. Nice. And, and you know, so now I'm maturing as a songwriter, and now we're adding saxophones and honky-tonk pianos and a couple of tracks and horn sections, you know, and... I was in my glory recording that album. Another thing, I'm a big Hanoi Rocks fan. I, 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 I've always thought you guys were were in that vein too, which I always thought they were underrated. I hope you take that as a compliment. I love Michael Monroe. I love your voice. And I, I just thought, same thing, they got pigeonholed. And I, I, I think there was so much more there with them as well. Because uh, I love the horn arrangements on, on the second album and whatnot. Do you know what I mean? Like, as a fan, I hope that's complimentary to you. I like, thought when Hanoi broke up, I thought Mike Monroe was gonna. Um, when he went put out his solo album, I thought it was gonna. He was gonna be big, but it never really. I mean, big, big. It never really happened for him. Yeah. The other guy, you know, Andy McCoy. I love Hanoi Rocks, but from what I hear, Andy's got some substance problems. Oh here. right, yeah. Um. Yeah, I love Hanoi Rocks. But I thought you did a little bit of tinge of that maybe in, in, in Voodoo You Love. I felt like a little bit of, you know... Uh, well, I was definitely listening to a lot of Hanoi Rocks. <laughs> cool, time, so. yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a compliment. I, I loved it. It was another, you know... 
listen to the record, but it, it's... Well, I feel another parallel that can be drawn between us and Hanoi is like, again, we both had that kind of glam look, but we weren't really like Hanoi Rocks, like Rocks Gang, we're, we're not really <laughs> hair metal band, right. you know? Right, an unfortunate label, yep. It's, but it's interesting, um, as far as um, the, the second album, did at, at any point when you got it, when stuff kind of started faltering and then you've got all the grunge crap happening, so we're like, you know, in the 90s now, like full force, did you ever try getting it reissued again or try and taking it anywhere or, or shopping it around at all? Like pre-Paris? Yeah, nobody wanted to touch it. It's fucking stupid. <laughs> it is. It's. Fu- I mean, I seriously, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. It's fucking stupid. The band is so great, and it's like it just Everybody amazes to touch me. It. Everybody, we were carrying so much baggage because of our look. It just wasn't. No labels were signing anything that had that. You know. It's like listen to the record. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I agree with not to. Not, I don't want to sound uh, not to blow my own horn, but I, I think it's pretty damn good too. It is, man. It's great. Um, are you? And I wanted to ask you this, and I hope it's okay. I was just curious. Do you ever? Do you ever? Do you still? Do you write at all? Do you still write songs, or do you? Yeah, awesome. I had a once rock gang dissolved. I had a second band, the Mojo Gurus. Okay, okay. And um, I took it in a way more... I went even further into the rock and roll, rootsy... You know, straight rock and roll. There was rockabilly influences. There was blues influences. Americana influences. But it was still rock and roll, but... Cool. But it... uh, the Rock Gang fans, for the most part, did not like it. <laughs> I'll check it out, man. I've got an open mind. I like anything. I think you're a hell of a songwriter. Um, well, the the second to last, okay, after the Voodoo You Love, we actually had an album that was called Mojo Gurus. I meant to say, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, and it was a bit. It was like a 180 departure from the previous Rock Gang stuff, and freaked a lot of our fans out. <laughs> And um, it was dedicated to all my mojo gurus, right? Sure, of course. Um, mojo, blues terminology for like you know your 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 uh, personal magic, like or whatever, you know. And sure. Guru, obviously, spiritual teacher. So my influences, I consider my mojo my mojo gurus the title came actually from a, I was a huge Mark Bowen T-Rex fan and he had uh, that song Metal Metal Guru yeah and had there not been a song Metal Guru there probably would not have been a, a song or a band named Mojo Guru right <laughs> but um, there was an album it was a rock gang album called Mojo Gurus and it contained a, there was a title song there's a song Mojo Mojo Guru and um, after that there was two more Ox Gang albums there was uh, or actually just there was one before it 
and there was one after it. The last one was called Drinking TNT and Smoking Dynamite. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've kept her right. Uh, the last Mojo Groove album was called Gone. I kind of knew it was going to be the last Mojo Guru's album. And so the title, I like I like song titles, song lyrics that have like multiple meanings or that like when different people hear it, they can I- interpret it sure. in different ways. Yeah. And um, so Gone is like in the rockabilly vernacular, like, you know, man, that chick is real, real gone. You know? Right. <laughs> uh, gone also... You could be gone, like, out of your gourd, you know? Right. And then there's gone, as in adios. <laughs> right. And so I thought it was a, an apt title for what I knew was going to be the last Mojo Gurus album. But I still write occasionally. I love writing. It's a little depressing because for me right now I don't write quite as often because I'll come up with something and I think wow I got a really good song here and then it kind of bums me out thinking that like nobody may ever hear it <laughs> right sure but, I, but uh yeah I think I'll always I can't stop right and I love it's you know it's something I love to do right hey as far as I was going to ask you to the first album um did, did y'all get to do some touring with that? Did y'all get out there for, for that record? Yeah, we did the whole, we had the tour bus and the trash the hotel room. <laughs> the whole <nine> yards. <laughs> who got, who got, who guys were you guys out with? Who did y'all go end up hitting the road with? Um, we tour, uh, of all people, I don't, I, I don't want to disparage anybody, but we did a bunch of dates with Warwick. Okay. Which I didn't think was a great matchup. Yeah, that's just weird. Um, we did, we played with Faster Pussycat, we played with Rat, we played with, uh, oh, Jesus, you're, you're talking like 30. Oh, I know, I went way back on you. There's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of, um, I bet the Rat Tour was fun. Hopefully that was a good experience. We didn't do that many dates with them. We did do a couple of dates with them. It was it was fun. They seem like cool guys. I've uh, never got to chat with any of them, but I always thought they were cool when I was a kid. I I love Stephen's voice. I thought it was it's like your voice. It's very unique. You can there are certain voices of stuff of records when I go listen to them. It's like no, listen to this and I'll play it for people. I've got friends of mine that are like 10, 15 years younger than me. I'm like listen to this and they'll be like oh wow that's like no one nothing sounds like that. You know it's cool. And it sticks well, out. When I first started in little, you know, B-circuit clubs singing cover songs, when I first started, when I first got into this whole thing, um, I realized right away, I'm not a, one of these guys with a fantastic range that can hit notes, you know, in outer space. Right. But... I also realized that a lot of my idols weren't the greatest singers and that to be successful in rock or a rock star, you don't have to have a great voice. Right. You got to have attitude. Fuck yeah. Yeah. You know? So when I first started singing, 
you know, there was bands like um, Black Sabbath and, uh, with uh, Dio yeah. at the time. And um, I can't even think, but there was a lot of bands that were, there was some, some high range shit going on. And I was like, look, don't try and imitate these guys. You're going to fail miserably. Like, just be yourself. Sure, you know? absolutely. And so even when I interpreted other people's songs, I always tried to sing it with my own voice. And um, I don't know, for better or worse, that's a, that was my uh, modus operandi. <laughs> hey, man, I like I said, remember buying the first album and was just like, fuck yeah. I was like, I loved it. Uh, and then right to the second it, it was it was funny because I was, and I hope this means something to you. I was a fan that was like waiting the next year for the rap. You know, I was like, where did they go? Yeah. Uh-huh. So because I I loved it. Like I went right out and got it. Um, had the vinyl, had the cassette. Wore the fucking cassette out of the first album to the point where it wouldn't even fucking play. I've still got the damn thing. Vinyl. Cool. Vinyl's got it some more stories it too. Mean a lot to me. Yeah, man. Dude, like I said, I, I was like, fuck yeah. And at the time, because I was living um, in Pensacola where my where I'm at, at now, but my aunt was still alive at the time. I was staying with my aunt and uncle. And not a lot of stuff came through there. I didn't get to a lot of shows. And my uncle was real good about taking me to shows when I was like really young. But then as I got older, you know, we would try to go to stuff. But he was a truck driver. So if he wasn't in town, because my mom super loved my mom to death. My mom's not in the best of health now, but... You know, she it was she just wasn't you know going to take me to rock shows. That was always my uncle's thing, you know. So um, I, I tried to get as much stuff as I could, but yeah, man, I was the fan that bought it and was just like, "Fuck," you know. Um, I love to hear it because there's my childhood. There's a lot of darkness there. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really talk about this a lot, and I'm not going to get into the details. But my mother was murdered. Okay. Oh God, I'm sorry. And um, I was like eight years old. Jeez. I got a few years older. I think it's why I gravitated towards a lot of the glam bands because music had always been an escape for me. Right. Years following my mother's death, I had a very rough childhood. And music was an escape from my shitty reality. Right. And I think I gravitated towards, like I remember seeing... Uh, the Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and Spiders from Mars or, the, or Mott the Hoople or, or the New York Dolls album covers and I was like you know Bowie looked like a spaceman you know right. it was just so out of this world that it like I think it was even more of a uh, you know I was I was looking for a, a something to take me away you sure, know absolutely and so i decided at a very early age that i wanted to do this i can remember as a little kid watching the monkeys television program oh yeah loved it and i remember this particular episode where davy jones they were in paris and davy jones was getting chased all over the eiffel tower by a mob <laughs> of screaming girls and when they caught him they just like ripped his shirt off and i was like that's what i want to do sure. <laughs> you know? yep and um i wanted to hang out with a bunch of my friends and like a monkey's headquarters and riding a monkey mobile and have screaming 
girls chase me, you know, like, before I knew I had any iota of musical talent, I just was attracted to the lifestyle. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. The clothes and everything. So, one of my main goals, though, in music was, and it's kind of a, uh, it's true, I don't know if it sounds corny or contrived, but I wanted to provide the same escape for some, for other kids that were, you know, were in a shitty situation. Well, you did for me. And to get into... I had had. Well, you man, know, you, you I, did for me. Music had provided that escape for me. I wanted to give that to somebody else. And over the years, I've had... I met fans or had let, read letters to me that kind of confirmed that for me. And that's, that's a bigger reward for me than selling millions of records, you know? Well, for what it's worth, I was a foster home child up until I was like five, and then got adopted. Real, real abusive dad and a bunch of other bad shit went down that I won't get into. So yeah, man, you did that for me. You gave me an escape. I remember it vividly. I remember specifically going to the mall on a Sunday, skipping church with my buddy. We would never go. Like his mom was like, so she did stuff at the church. We would skip church. Hit the mall and we bought records. So, you totally did that for me. I mean, for what it's worth. So, like right I said, yeah. So it's funny how this. Does my heart good to hear that? You yeah, man. Know, the right cycle here. continues. The cycle continues. So it's like you know, um, it's great. Like I said, I, I hate that because I think the second record, uh, it sounds like it was more. I mean, I love the first album myself, but the second record. You know, for you and even for me as a listener now, I think it was, you know, definitely going in the right direction uh, for you as a writer. Um, but I love the second record. And it's, 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 it's sad to me that, the, like you said, the timing on the whole fucking thing, because that's all it was. You know, you have a time machine, you do it, what, two years prior, the first album's out two years early. It, who knows, you know? Yeah. And then the other, you know, I've had years to reflect on this, and uh, you know, there's another side to it. Also, like, who knows? What what if I what if I'd made it big? Like, there's a lot of temptations on the road. Oh yeah. Uh, I might not be sitting here talking to you. Who knows? Oh, I know. See, that's a whole. That's the whole other thing. You think about that all of those bands like that. I mean, I'll be honest with you. There there are a few bands, you know, that I was never into. And again, I'm not even trying to speak badly, but I'm just the truth. And I'm sure you probably feel the same way. There are bands that are still around that I don't know how they're not dead. Uh-huh. You know? Um, and there's other bands. I catch a lot of flack for this. But I believe in it strongly. And I will reiterate it. Is <laughs> that... Rock and roll is a young man's game. I don't care what anybody says. And if you're in a glam rock band, the window's even smaller. Right. Because so many of my peers that started in the same era as I did, that are still going, it's like 
they look freaking ridiculous to me. <laughs> I mean, I've always cared about, I'm in pretty good shape, and I still have all my hair, and all my teeth, and everything. Right. But you look at some of these guys with their dyed hair and their belly hanging over their skin-tight pants, and, you know, they're 60-year-old rockers and stuff, and it's like, give it, just give it up. And in some ways, what happened to us is a blessing in disguise because to, to thousands of people, I am forever 28. Yeah, you are. That's what the pictures they see of me, you know? Right. They never saw me age. And um, I don't know. And even guys... Okay, I worshipped at the altar of guys like Alice Cooper when I was a little kid, the original sure. Alice Cooper band. And, you know, I hate to say it, but look at Alice now. I mean, come on. He just... It doesn't look good. No, Steven Tyler. Look, I respect the hell out of Steven Tyler, and I think it's fantastic that a guy his age has a physique that he can still wear those clothes, but just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> right. And, and he's still writing songs that are aimed at prepubescent girls, and it's, to me it's kind of creepy, you know? Yeah. At least like the Rolling Stones kind of like matured with their audience, you know? Yeah. Steven Tyler and a lot of these guys, it's like, I don't know. I, I, it bugs me seeing old guys. Okay, like, I, I was such a fan of the 70s glam scene. Do you remember a guy named Gary Glitter? Oh, of course. Right, Rock and Roll, part one and two. Yeah, of course. See, he, a long time ago, I said... I do not want to end up like, like Gary Glitter was already a middle-aged guy when he hit it big. Right. And he would be wearing these silver sequins pants and he had a gut, you know, something. It was like, he ended up being a child, a pedophile or something, it turned yeah. out. But um, I've always had that thing where like, rock and roll, you got to get in. You got to strike while the iron's hot, and then if you have any self-respect, you got to get out. <laughs> you know? Well, it's yeah. It's... Or, or you have to take your music in a direction and your look in a direction that you know, where it's not embarrassing. Yeah, man. I and and again, I was a fan of this band up until. Um, Stephen Clark died. I haven't followed the band since Stephen Clark died, but Joe Elliott right now is straight up rocking a wig. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's bad. Like, it's real bad. Like, it's like a Golden Girls wig. Like, he is straight up wearing a Blanche Devereaux wig. It's like, dude, what are you doing? And I... Well, remember when Kevin Dubrow, when he had little squirrely hair, and then all of a sudden the one album came out and he had hair down to his... Yeah. Ribcage, you know, and <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden had a big. You know, that's, I mean, to me, that's so on rock and roll. Like, yeah, and 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 I hate to, I, I hate to do. It's it's. Brett Michaels has to be rocking a wig too. The guy looks like. I mean, I, I'm glad. I don't know what's going on with that? Dude, he's got to be. That has to be a wig. And I, I made a joke with my co-host. I was like, we should. You know, just to boost the the podcast, I should just go to these shows and get arrested to run up on stage and pull the wig off. You know, like, it's... And even now, like, okay, I, there are Kiss songs that I like, but 
I'm of age where like my little brother listened to Kiss. Sure. Okay? Sure. <laughs> it was kind of a kiddie band by the time I was in high school, right? Absolutely. Um, even Paul Stanley, like you've seen him without his makeup these days, he's rocking a shorter haircut. Oh yeah. But if he goes on tour with Kiss, there's his big, he's wearing a wig. It has to be. It's like, I don't know, man. Gene Simmons, like he's an old, he's a grandfather age dude and he's up there spitting fire and I don't know. Yeah, I, that, you know the only, I, I'll tell you something funny. Um, and again, I don't know if you ever knew these guys or whatever, but it's like, I, I'm happy for... Uh, uh, the guitarist for, for Kiss, the dude from Black and Blue, just because I always liked Black and Blue, and Black and Blue never felt like they got any love, so I'm, I'm happy that he's making a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I know he's not ace, but it's like... You gotta do what you gotta do. Yeah, know? man, and, and everybody trashes that guy, and I'm like, man, if if Kiss offered you a ton of money to get up there and dress and, and play guitar and pretend you're ace freely, most people are gonna do it. Yeah. But, I don't know. It's funny, but... I just always took... I always... because For reasons that I just explained to you about what rock and roll has meant to me, like... Sure. You know, rock and roll, man, it's for kids. It's for... Before rock and roll, there was no music aimed at, at teenagers. Right. There wasn't any. There, maybe some Bobby Soxer type stuff, you know. But there, I mean, it was big band stuff, and uh, you know, until rock, rock and roll was the first music that was directly aimed at teenagers, and then this started a whole subculture. Uh, our parents or our grandparents did not understand it one bit. It was like turn that shit down, which made you want to just crank it even louder, and. Uh, they were scared by it. They didn't understand it. They thought it was silly. Sure. But um, but it's for kids. And the older I get, you know, that's why a lot of Rock Gang fans I told you were turned off by the Mojo Gurus. But I was my second band. But I was like, I got to a certain age, and I was like, I'm too old to sing too cool for school. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 <laughs> I'm too old to sing I need your sex you know like <laughs> right. it was like I had to take it I wasn't ready to quit yet I still felt I had a lot of music in me but I had to start taking it in another direction and I understand for the Rocks Gang fans there's a lot of nostalgia attached with when you grew up listening to certain records you know absolutely I get I get hounded to death to do Rocks Gang Put the band back together, do a tour, put out one more album. But like, Rock's Gang's over. Right. It was a great time in my life, but it was like, that was me as a young man, you know? It's, well, it's funny. It, I was listening to uh, the first album yesterday, just preparing to do the interview with you. Man, it's it's like it's like it just transports me to that time in my life. Like I can remember, it, it, you know, if I could have the sight and smells with it, it's like being in a fucking time machine. You know, it's such a great record, and a, it was a great time in my life. 
I remember being that age, you know. So yeah, I totally and I respect that man because like like we were talking about a minute ago, there's these bands that keep doing this stuff, but it's like at what point is it time to say okay, you know, enough, you know? Right. Um, see, see. I mean, you told me this, so I don't feel like I'm. It's a brag or a boast, but like, you love that album. I do. You have great memories associated with that album. Absolutely. It brings you to a time where you have all kinds of great memories for a period of your life. Yep. You know? And that album's always there to do that for you. Yep. You know, but uh, uh, other bands who provided that same thing for you but kept going, like a lot of those guys, all of a sudden they kind of ruin It starts to be like, wow, I just really like these guys. <laughs> you know? Right. Look at them now. Well, that's, and I want to thank you for this too. Thank you for never re recording the stuff. Like, I don't know why bands think that that's, that's, I remember there was like this phase where all these bands were doing that. It's like, why are you re recording stuff? Like, I want the original work. You want to remaster it. I'm all day, I'm going to buy that all day long. But, but if you're, don't re record the songs. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hear, you know, I, I don't want to hear that now. You know, now it's one thing if you're, you know, you you decided to do a live show, I would be there, and you're up there playing the, the goods, sure. But I also respect that you don't. But I'm just saying, do you know what I mean? Like these bands, they go in and like, oh, we're we're going to record. It's it's. I was talking about Def Leppard a minute ago. That, let's do Photograph 2023. No, don't. Please don't. You know. It was because it, it's like a time capsule, you know. And to me, when you tamper with that, I, I never understood bands doing that. It's like, oh, we're going to re-record everything unplugged. It's like, no, don't. Yeah. But dude, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to do this today, dude. I'm a huge fan of the band. I hope you had fun chatting with me. I had a blast talking to you, kids. Check out anything from Rocks Gang, uh, but definitely check out the Voodoo You Love. It's reissued Paris Records. It fucking, it's awesome. Uh, it's got the Magic Carp Ride bonus track. Check it out. It's fucking cool as shit. Kevin, that's I'm an original he, song, too. That's amazing. To clarify. That's awesome. Not, that's not the Steppenwolf classic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Even better. Dude, it was Rock a, on, everybody out there. Here's this. Rock on. Dude, thank you so much for this, Kevin, dude. Huge fan. Thank you for the memories. Thanks for sharing with me, and I wish you all the best, dude. You're, you're the man. All right, thanks a lot, brother. Thanks, brother. Take care.